You're listening to the CXO Mag podcast from NTT Data, starting conversations that bring together knowledge and insight from market leaders, experts, and captains of industry to help you plan and prepare for the now, next, and future. Welcome to today's podcast. Uh, we are here to tackle the gigantic topic of circular economy and sustainability transformation. CXOs want to know what to do about it. Um, it's a big, big topic that is fundamental to the future state of their businesses. So today's session I've got joining me is Catherine Wheaton. Catherine is an award-winning book author who's written a book called The Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It explains the what, why and how of how to run a circular economy. Also joining us today from Entity Data is Mavi Trussoni. Mavi is our co-lead of Entity Data's Championship for Sustainability Goals. Her function is to explore applications of technology to support a more sustainable world. As a mathematical engineer, her background and skill is primarily looking at how to exploit emerging technologies, in particular artificial intelligence, analytics, blockchain and quantum computing. So today's session, let's get into it. We can't tackle it all because the topic would probably be a series of podcasts. So what we're going to do is focus on three key areas. The first is defining what we mean by circular economy and understanding what technology parts play into that to build a sustainable transformation. And then secondly, we're going to get into the issue of culture. A big drive right now is to embed the cultural shift that corporations need to embrace in order to live and breathe the sustainable values. And then finally, the third topic we're going to get into today is the risk of greenwashing. Why is that fundamentally important? Well, if you don't do something credible and real, it impacts your commercial structure as an organization. So let's get into the topics. And Catherine, I'd like to start with you. Could you help us get some context and definition for what you mean by a circular economy? The circular economy, I think, is the best toolkit we have for shrinking our footprint. So it's about designing products and services to keep the object its components and materials in effective, efficient use for as long as possible, and choosing materials that are both safe and sustainable at every stage of the process. But there's a danger that we focus on recycling, which should be our last resort. And instead, I encourage organisations to think about three key strategies. For the first two strategies, we can envisage products having a life of their own. So they're suitable for being resold or passed on when you finish with them, or they're suitable for being shared. So strategy number one is to use things for longer, provide and maintain durable, repairable products, so we replace things less frequently and we're slowing down the flow of both production and consumption. Strategy number two is to use things more, products and systems to encourage sharing and paper use. So we get more utilisation, more use out of fewer products and materials. And strategy number three applies to everything. Use it again. Recover and reusing products, recycling and regenerating materials. Right now, there's lots of focus on carbon reduction and drawdown. And what's often missing from the discussion is our material footprint and all the extraction, farming and forestry that's associated with that. That material footprint and its knock-on effects with enormous damage to the living world that we depend on is growing exponentially. And in the last 50 years, our resource use has tripled. So it's growing 70% faster than global population. And we're now consuming around 1.7 planets worth of resources every single year. And even worse, at current rates, we're projected 
to double current consumption to about 190 billion tonnes a year by 2060. And that's not driven by population growth. Per person, it's a 33% increase. So we kind of need to go back to the levels we were at. Some scientists say in, in the levels we were at at 2000 with about 50 billion tonnes of materials. And the Global Footprint Network calculates that we were at one planet levels of consumption back in the 1970s. So that's why we have to focus on those three strategies so that we're really slowing down the flow of resources through the system in order to shrink our footprint. Whenever you put it into those terms, Catherine, it, it sounds insurmountable, right? But I like the description of three things. Use things for longer, use things more and share it more and use it again. But Mavi, in your words, you know, the, the corporations, what are you seeing on the ground? What, what do you think is actually happening for corporations in the real world in order to get to this sort of circular approach? Looking at corporation, the landscape is uh, pretty diverse, but in general, a big shift is going on. So there is a very strong shift towards sustainability and the main focus, I mean, areas of focus are governance, community, employees and environment. What I'm though seeing is that there is a little bit of confusion embedding such values into businesses, how initiatives that may start from corporate social responsibility, so on the volunteering side, can actually be uh, driven into corporate social value. So they can somehow be built into a more strategic perspective. So I can summarize the experiences I, I've seen on uh, on my clients over three main levels. On the bottom of this uh, pyramid, there are those corporations that are doing nothing or just, you know, bad marketing. But at the moment, I'm glad to say that they're the minority. While in the middle level, there are corporations that are actually and maybe also concretely taking action but that somehow are not embedding a sustainability strategy within their industrial plans. And even if the single initiatives are very virtuous, they kind of struggle to bring value. And so there is this third instead category, which is, you know, the top level, a few enlightened companies that actually do focus more on CSV, so corporate social value, meaning they not only strongly embed sustainability into their strategic plans, but also somehow try to drive value for the business with that. And it's, uh, you know, a kind of new concept of uh, sustainable value business models. Whenever we talked in preparation for today's session, we, we looked at, is this just CSR with a bit more teeth? Because what you said there, corporate social value, you know, value is connected to profit, is connected to the drivers that drives those corporations' success and their share price and all these sorts of things. Do you have any anecdotes or any stories of, of organizations you know who've actually embedded this, who've, who've done it in Italy or outside that you're aware of? I think there are a couple that I've followed directly here in Italy that were a very good example of virtuosity in this context. On one side, in a banking institution, they have built a second smaller bank. It's a challenger bank that is completely driven by sustainability. The entire value proposition for the final customer of the bank, which is typically a youngster, is completely driven by sustainability. So for each of the purchases they make through the online banking, a tree is planted or some reward is given or some cash is given to be spent on some sustainable marketplace. 
while on a very, very different approach, I mean, and also kind of industry on the, for example, energy market or also in the manufacturing industry, a lot of focus is based on the transparency over the supply chain. So technology is uh, making such uh, processes not only more efficient, but also more transparent, which is a key point because, you know, the final product uh, is uh, commercialized as a super sustainable, but you don't know where the materials come from. And so to have a transparent supply chain can actually also have a big impact over the final product. But on the other side, is it more than just driving efficiency through technology or is there or is, can technology help us with a sort of step change in this corporate social value? Absolutely, yes. And that is actually my job. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, uh, absolutely. But I think that technology really plays a key role into sustainability because by improving efficiency, of course, you're lowering the consumption of some resources, but you're also, for example, minimizing risks for your employees. Uh, You are enabling uh, interactive measurement and, uh, for example, anomaly detection system that can allow a human being to intervene before a disaster can happen. And most of all, technology connects people, connects machine and connects people to machine and machine to machines, which is something that can really create an environment. You know, when when you speak about the typical approach as a holistic view on sustainability, this has a practical doppelganger in technology because everything is connected and you really are building an interconnected ecosystem in order for all this to work. I mean, Concrete examples could be, you know, remote care during the pandemic or RPA to automatize some processes or automatic tracking along the supply chain via technology. Bringing it back to Catherine, whenever we uh, talked previously, Catherine, we talked about even whenever organizations shift to more digital services for the same type of product, like the shift to watching content online instead of buying DVDs, which obviously reduces the amount of plastic creation, but the massive increase in demand because of the availability of more and more and more content through the platforms of Netflix and YouTube drives exponential demand on on the internet. I think it's upwards of 80% of the internet is now driven by video traffic, right? Again, it has a massive knock-on carbon effect. So is there anything we can learn from what you know about the circular economy that can be applied to this, this sort of digital shift to sort of not just generate more value and therefore generate more bandwidth and therefore generate more demand? Is there things that we can learn and bring to bear so that we don't end up tripping ourselves up even though we've introduced a more effective way of, of distributing media? Mm, Absolutely. I think it's about using a systems perspective and thinking of the consequences of the change that you're about to make. So you can't just assume that virtualizing things or providing pay-per-use systems is automatically better. When we make things cheaper and more accessible, that's obviously more equitable, makes it easier for everybody to afford it. But the knock-on effect can be that we've made it cheaper and convenient, so we use up more of it and people lose sight of what they were consuming because now it's virtual or on demand. As an example, Uber and other ride hailing services, they're circular models in themselves because it's a pay-per-use system and they're using technology to improve the convenience, accessibility, efficiency of, of their system. But if they use their investors' deep pockets to undercut public transport in the target cities, then that results in more car miles, not less. Mm. So that's bad for carbon, air pollution, human health, and it has a bigger overall footprint. So that's not to say that ride hailing is a bad thing in itself. And if, say, it was part of the city 
transport system. The surge pricing model can be used that when, say, public transport's at capacity, you can drop the price of, of ride hailing. If the weather's really poor, you can drop the price to make it easier for people to get home in comfort. It shouldn't be about how do we do things that just maximise the profit for the shareholders. I'm going to try and summarise some of the stuff we just talked about because, you know, we talked about systems thinking of things. And, and that's a really good example how private enterprise could work with public services in order to create a more democratic access to moving people around, but also in a way which is more sustainable. I, I like that type of thinking. But if, if I try and summarise, and please correct me if I'm wrong in the summary, we have to think with a more systemic approach to everything. Use things for longer use things more widely in a more sharing structure and reuse things, use it again and again and again in order to create that longevity. The four topics based on governance, community, employees and environment are things you need to think about whenever you're building your corporate social values. And I think that's a good definition. Think about it in relation to your corporate social value. What value can you bring to the business as well as doing things that are correct and right and credible for the environment? So if we sort of move on to the second topic, which in some ways uh, you started talking on there, which is about employees and community, Mavi, how, as a, as you see corporations really shift to doing this top-down change, what would you define as the mindset they need to shift to in order to really embrace this type of approach? Yes, I, I really think this is the key point because, uh, I mean, companies usually less more than the people working there. So I think it kind of makes sense for the corporation to create a sustainability legacy for the years ahead. But on the other hand, demand is changing a lot. And this is a very important point. If you look, of course, at corporations, you know, from a purely business perspective, the general public is changing its demand, but not only the public, but also the corporations among each other are changing their requirements. So in order to be on the market, you need to create things to respond to such demand. So, I mean, a very good example is uh, Patagonia, for example. I think it's a very virtuous example because, yes, the prices for their products can be a little bit higher, but they provide lifelong uh, guarantee to each product you buy from a cap up to the hiking boots. And this is something that really can drive change in corporations because you're less focusing on the specific product and on reducing costs, but also on, you know, what's the general lifespan of an item. And on the other hand, it's uh, the relationship among corporations, which is amazing because, for example, as entity data, we must be compliant to a lot of regulations and standards in order to be technology provider for our clients. They are requiring to us to be sustainable as a company. So there are these two aspects. So let's say general public demand and corporation demand that bring sustainability at the top level in companies because you need to respond to that demand. Otherwise, you're not working anymore. Yeah, it's necessity of this place that we're in, right? And Catherine, we are in an Anthropocene where we are the dominant influencer on the planet. And by that situation, unlike other epochs in history where that was something that was just imposed upon the planet and no one could do anything about it, as sentient beings, we've got a choice here, right? We can actually influence our influence on the planet, right? So... What are you saying to corporations in order to make this feel like a necessity, like it's, it, is, it is now, it is necessary? What, what, what are you saying to them to get them to change their culture and drive this change? So I think it's critical to think about your footprint. 
so resources, waste, pollution and emissions and the impact you're having on nature. And coming back to Mavi's point about value, are you destroying value for society or are you creating value by regenerating resources and providing affordable and convenient products and services? So think about your strategy and ask whether it involves selling more units of product every year, increasing resource use and using up more land or are you able to break the link between the resources and the footprint that you have and the value that you provide for society? If your footprint's getting bigger, then you're contributing to the breakdown of our world, taking us all towards and beyond tipping points and taking us to a world beyond our worst nightmares. And instead, we need to think differently and think about using those circular strategies so we can focus on services, taking less and providing access to the things that we need those things that make life safer, healthier, more enjoyable and meaningful. It's not about encouraging everybody to own exclusive use of things. So I'd say focus on what your strategy means for the long, long term, 100 years plus. What does it mean for future generations? And how could you set your business on a better path, one that your customers and your employees will buy into? And finally, think about your competitors and startups. How might they disrupt you by doing things differently? They might not be constrained by business as usual and where the cash is coming from currently. It's about seeing the world through a different lens, a lens of a finite world with significant constraints. And it's really hard to get our heads around that because we've just not thought that way for all of our lives, really. But when we start to think about it, we can see that we're in a finite world. It's a closed system and yet we're behaving as if it's an infinite system. So I think that's the key thing is thinking about being part of a closed system and how we keep that system clean, efficient, safe and enjoyable. For the last 20 years, from documentaries to you know, scientists have been telling us we're wrecking the planet, we're wrecking the planet, we're wrecking the planet. But it, it, it's sort of ethereal to us. We don't we don't see it today and we don't see it for generations in some ways. It, it is becoming very pertinent in today's society and, and modern perception of that closed system is necessary. But instead of using effectively fear and panic around, you know, it's bad, it's not good for it, you focused on value, which I think is more in tune with how the culture of a corporation would think anyway, because you know they just need to redefine what they mean by value. Value isn't about shifting more units. Value is about that long, long-term strategy where you have a, a longer relationship with the customer. And actually, to your previous point in the previous section, it'll add value to your bottom line. It'll be more commercially beneficial for you. I do want to bring in just one point about, you, you talked about competition. And actually, in your in your article that you, you wrote for the magazine, you talked about, you know, let's learn lessons from the Kodaks and the Blockbusters, right? They didn't think they needed to change, but now look at them now. So there's a little bit of fear here. We've got to remind corporations that if they stand still and don't do enough, actually, they'll just be on the heap like all those other companies that got destroyed through the digital transformation world. Yeah, and I think being constrained and thinking about you know the future's changing rapidly how do we adapt and thinking about those completely different scenarios allows you to be more creative it's not about incremental improvements to your products it's about big step changes in the way that you provide things and lots of companies are experimenting with say remanufacturing you know they're closing the circularity gap if you like on their own supply chain and realizing that by providing products that another company could resell repair or remake, 
they're leaving value on the table for somebody else. And those things are highly profitable. So companies like Cummins and Caterpillar have been remanufacturing for decades. It's the most profitable part of their businesses. Patagonia are helping people resell their Patagonia kit on the Warnware site in America because people see there's value in second and third life Patagonia equipment because everybody knows its quality. So that relationship with the customers and that perception that it might cost more, but the value is better and the, the usefulness of it is better because it's not going to fall apart and it's going to be a reliable product. That's really valuable. And Mavi, just if you've got anything to add here, because I remember uh, when we spoke before, is there examples of, of corporations that you see that, that are living and breathing that culture? You mentioned Patagonia, and of, of course, Catherine's mentioned that as well. But are there others that you think of that, that, that you think are sort of culturally shifting as well? Yes, absolutely. Yes. And uh, actually, so not only on the products that are being, you know, offered to the final customers, but also in how things are done inside the corporation. And that's also a big shift because an example that uh, comes to my mind, we are an IT company. And uh, what we do is, for example, to um, cooperate with uh, onlusses such as Médecins Sans Frontières. Mm -hmm. uh, and there is the same thing with computers. So informatics without Orders. What we do is we have IT hardware that we can donate, for example, to give them a second life because we cannot use it anymore to work on it, but it can be helpful in schools or in some other places of the world. So you're giving a second life to something that you know is both connected to your main business, but also connected to something that is not related to what you sell to your clients, but is in your operation. That was a stupid example, I know, but it's something that <laughs> I think it's kind of crucial to understand in which phases you could also make a change, not just in what you sell, but also in how you do things. So if I could summarize with both of you then, that with regards to the cultural aspect, you're not really having to shift your mindset too much as a corporation. You just need to think about how you measure value in a slightly different way. So instead of in units and profit, think more long-term, think with a Patagonia mindset where you're thinking, how am I able to get my products to the second and third tier of users and usage? And then on the other side of what you were just describing, Mavi, is relating to the, the culture of feeling good about stuff, which is also a justification for getting behind this as an organization. Because, you know, CSR has always been in the sidelines of most corporations and marketing departments in some ways. But if it becomes front and center to your culture to reuse and share and distribute to those who need it more than you, there's a emotive value to the corporate value that less measurable, but also just as important for the employee self-satisfaction and scale. And employees hate to see things being wasted needlessly mm. in, in companies because it just feels like throwing money and value and useful stuff away. And adding to that, uh, sustainability is also a top priority for the workforce. I mean, mm. there are some reports saying that 90% of millennials identify sustainability as a crucial consideration when making career moves. So also in terms of employer branding is a crucial aspect. Mm. And attracting talent. Yeah. Finally, is the scary thing, the fear element to corporations, which is what happens when you don't do it right, right? What happens when the statement of greenwashing, which was defined back in 85, I think, after some uh, oil company was claiming to look after penguins in, in the South Pacific. But greenwashing is, is a credible and, and uh, difficult thing to avoid. And we've got stories about that from both of you guys, I know. Catherine, maybe if we start with you. So how does a company end up greenwashing 
themselves and getting caught up in their own confusion about how to do things sustainably. So they get outed effectively for, for doing things badly. What do they need to do to make sure that they don't do it badly and, and do it right first time? I'd offer three bits of advice. So first of all, don't try and make PR out of what I might call random acts of greenness. So <laughs> things like, and I'm seeing a lot of this at the moment, things like increasing recycled content in the product, swapping to biomaterials that might even have a worse impact, or making things you know recyclable in inverted commas, even though you know they can't be recycled in most places around the world. So don't try and do that. Secondly, take responsibility for your entire value chain from extraction and farming through production, in use and after the end of use and think about how you can close the loop on the products, materials and all those waste streams and get the value back in the system. And then thirdly, focus on those key circular strategies. So what are you doing that really shrinks your footprint and slows down production and consumption? And how can you create a compelling vision for a circular, regenerative and resilient future where you can do well by doing good, as Ray Anderson said of Interface, and share what you learn with others as Patagonia do, coming back into the conversation again. But yeah, they, they share their mistakes and their learnings and they're investing a lot in forward technologies and sharing those with others to try and create critical mass and, and get things going more quickly. I like that statement, doing well by doing good, because you said slow down, take longer, that sort of stuff. That's that's almost like the antithesis to corporate mindset and approach. But if you're doing well by doing good, it's actually a better way of getting back to that previous point we mentioned about culture is about how you measure that value. I have to feel sorry for a lot of companies. Um, yes, we, we could talk about what organizations like Volkswagen have done and how they were got greenwashed over their carbon emissions from diesel vehicles and, and the fines that they received. But uh, Mavi, in relation to this, the, the, one of the big problems that they've got ultimately is there really is no standards. There's really there's probably going to be more standards than there'll be abilities to do it right. So what do you think from a technology or an innovation perspective as an engineer that, that we need to do to help corporations measure it accurately, do it in a way which is credible and valid? Because we could probably argue that apart from the ones who are doing what you're saying, your random acts of greenness, Catherine, they do want to do this properly. So how do you think we should help them, Mavi? Well, uh, you mentioned a huge topic because uh, green IT is something really hot at the moment since like IT emissions already amount for like 3% of all CO2 emission. And this number is uh, projected to triple by 2030. Here comes also a big paradox because, you know, on one hand, digital companies are guided and supported by IT capabilities. But on the other hand, of course, they are the major contributors to, to emission. And so... I really think uh, that the fact that there are no standards at the moment is actually also an opportunity to build your own. So starting from the strategic resources, which typically to IT are electricity that goes into emission, water and natural minerals. So it's mainly these three. What do you tackle? You tackle computing, you tackle data centers and our hardware there are starting to exist some tools that help you analyze how you write the software and how the consumption related to the software is going on. These kind of projects to move toward a green IT are huge projects, but they really make a strong impact. 
the crazy thing is about what you described is that should be table stakes, I would argue, for a corporation. Because everything you described there from green IT is actually just doing what's right by your infrastructure already. You know, don't have legacy equipment sitting there burning energy, doing nothing. Don't have poorly defined code, which requires higher processing power. All these things are a direct impact to the bottom line of a corporation. So it's like step one get your IT sorted because <laughs> because not only are you going to use more and more and more, as you say, going forward, if you're pivoting to a digital approach, because that's the way you're going to become more efficient and more more sustainable, but just get your IT sorted, right? Isn't that the basic message here? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> of course, you also need to have, you know, some KPIs that are fitting with respect to your organizations that you can monitor. But apart from, let's say, the methodological part, that's absolutely the key takeaway here. Efficiency is positively correlated with sustainability in this context. Yeah, it's a one-to-one, isn't it, ratio of, of the connection between the two. But it's back to what, what Catherine said about take responsibility, right? Build your own while we're waiting for another standard is taking responsibility, as Catherine said. Don't wait for legislation. Don't wait for institutions to catch up. Don't wait for the definition of what a law firm calls quality, sustainable strategy make it happen now so you don't end up like a Volkswagen. You don't end up, uh, I was actually reading an article from Aviva Venture Capital Seminar, and they were describing how organizations uh, shorting businesses are looking at organizations who are effectively doing random acts of greenness to understand whether they're doing it accurately and properly. And whenever they find out they're not doing it properly, they know it has a massive negative impact to their share price and they trade on that downturn. So the, the, you know, people are coming after you if you don't do it right, right? That's the first message. But the second message is get amongst it with your IT and get green. And, and the three points that Catherine said, don't do random acts of greenness. Take responsibility for what you've got and focus on those circular strategies in order to do well and do good. Absolutely, yes. I think you said something very important about, you know, why you need to pursue green IT actions today. And the answer is, you okay, Absolutely. Efficiency and cost improvement. Okay. Company purpose. Okay. Employee satisfaction. We already talked about these three, but the other two big points are preempting upcoming regulations, which are, you know, at the door and preempting changing customer and market behavior. And collaboration. You know, if we look at the news from the EU this week about legislating for an international standard charger, you know, and Apple pushing back on that and saying it's going to stifle innovation. Well, collaborate then if there's a better way of doing a charger, then agree that everybody can move to that charger. And if you design things on a modular basis, it might mean people can just swap one part instead of having to throw all their chargers in the bin. So I think collaboration's really critical and enables everybody to move faster. And it means you can work together and anticipate legislation instead of being caught on the back foot and having to, um, you know, chuck your R&D in the bin. We've covered the three topics, the perils of greenwashing, defining what it means to have a sustainable circular strategy, and the second topic, which was about the culture you need to embrace in order to do it. If you could say three things to a CXO individual listening to this podcast that they could take away and act on tomorrow, what would it be, Catherine? I'd say, how can you rethink so that you're recognising that we're in a closed system a world with finite, constrained resources and ecosystems that are under massive pressure. It's not just incremental improvements that we need, it's a step change. So how can you spark innovation and break away from business as usual, break away from that model of extraction, exploitation, extinction? 
it means really breaking the pull of the status quo and that's very powerful right across the c-suite those companies that truly understand the scale of the problem and innovate within those constraints will be the winners if you want to be a winner innovate transform change so Mavi, if there is a three things or two things or one thing that you would say to a, a CXO listening to this podcast, what would you say for them to do tomorrow? Well, I would probably support them into making this real. So I would follow, let's say, a three points roadmap. So the first one is assess and monitor performance all the time. Uh, second, embed sustainability into business functions and enhance governance for better results. And third, adopt technology and innovation to manage and support the sustainability agenda. You've been listening to the CXO podcast. For more deep dives into the issues faced by today's business leaders, curated thought leadership and consultancy thinking, visit cxomag.com.